Pastor Sean gives you his greetings. He's taking a well-deserved rest and uh, away this weekend, but uh, thank you for your prayers for him. We're so thankful for him, and uh, keep praying for him and his family as well. Well, years ago, within the President Nixon's administration, this man was known as the Hatchet Man because he ruthlessly hacked away at Richard Nixon's political opponents. His name was Chuck Colson, and he served as special counsel to President Nixon between 1969 and 1973. He first drew national attention when he was quoted as having said that he would walk over his own grandmother to get Nixon reelected. He was uh, uh, indicted over the Watergate uh, affair for obstruction of justice, was subsequently convicted, served seven months in prison of a one to three year sentence. It's interesting, though, before the indictment came down, uh, Charles Colson had left the White House under a cloud. He was attempting to reestablish his legal career. He went to visit the home of a friend, um, and a friend, and his name was Tom Phillips. He was the uh, CEO of the Raytheon Corporation at that time, and his friend had recently had a major change in his life. He had received Jesus Christ as his savior at a Billy Graham event, crusade. And uh, Chuck went to see his friend Tom, and Tom uh, talked passionately about what God had done in his life, how he changed his heart, and he read scripture to Chuck, and he pulled out some C.S. Lewis and, and gave some quotes to him, and at the end of their conversation, he asked Chuck if, if he would like to receive Jesus Christ as his savior. Uh, Chuck Colson said no, he wasn't ready, but God was doing something, and Tom prayed for him, and Chuck left. Later in his car, he broke down in tears, sobbing, and he said, for the first time in my life, I prayed a real prayer, a real prayer. And he simply said, God, I don't know how to find you, but I'm going to try. He didn't know what to say, so he just kept saying, take me, take me, take me. He went home that night and told his wife, Patty, that he thought he'd had a conversion experience, although he didn't really know what that meant. But later that week, he went to a cottage he owned by the ocean to seek God. And he writes these words uh, that are found in his book called Born Again. And if you've never read it, it's a powerful book, a story of what God did in the life of Chuck Colson. He sat and he says, while I sat alone staring at the sea I love, Words I had not been certain I could understand or say fell naturally from my lips. Lord Jesus, I believe you. I accept you. Please come into my life. I commit it to you. And his life changed. As the news spread that Charles Colson had quote-unquote found religion, it was met with skepticism and much ridicule. A political cartoonist had a field day as this cartoon from the showing President Nixon saying, Colson? That's hard to read down at the bottom, but that's a picture supposedly of Colson saying, repent, the end is near. But you know what? No matter what they said or how they ridiculed him, his life had been changed. And for the rest of his days, he followed Jesus Christ. He began a prison fellowship ministry to take the love of Jesus Christ to prisoners. Uh, and that's a ministry he was involved in up until his going home to be with the Lord. And this former political hatchet man had now come 
to know Jesus Christ and share his love with people everywhere. I want you to know that God is a transforming God. I don't mean that God changes. God is the same, yesterday, today, forever. But when I say God is a transforming God, he is in the business, he specializes in taking sinful, broken lives like ours and transforming them into something new and precious in his sight. He wants to do that. He's a transforming God. I want to talk to you today about redemption. Redemption. And we'll continue to reflect a little bit on the transformation that took place in Saul's life, but also what God is still doing and how he's still redeeming souls today. Last week, Pastor Sean uh, preached about the conversion experience of Saul. He's, uh, chapter 9 of, of the book of Acts begins with that simple phrase that, that Saul is still breathing threats and murder against those who believe in Christ. He's on a mission to go to Damascus with extradition orders to take anyone out of the synagogues in Damascus who has believed in this Jesus guy and to drag them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, perhaps imprison them, perhaps even kill them. On the way, he sees this bright light and Jesus Christ appears to him in this vision and I can picture him falling to the ground and Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? And says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city and I'll tell you what to do next. Trust me, you have an experience like that. You're not arguing. And he's blinded from the experience. They have to lead him into the city of Damascus. And then we ended last week with God sending a man named Ananias to Saul. And uh, so that he's going to pray for Saul, that first of all, that he might regain his sight, that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that he would be baptized. And those three things take place. Ananias, and he's regained his sight. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, Saul is. And now he's baptized. And then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9 in the 19th verse. So if you want to follow along at the end of verse 19, it says... For some days he, Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah that promised in the Old Testament. Friends, I want you to know this. When God redeems a person, he begins a process that transforms that person. In other words, God's redemption leads to transformation. And I see three in this passage of how he transforms Saul, how he wants to transform us as well. Transformation number one is Saul received a changed heart. A changed heart. I see this in the simple phrase, for some days Saul was with the disciples at Damascus. And I say, what? What? Saul is living with the people that he came to arrest, drag away, and kill, and now he's living with them? Could you imagine President Trump and his family inviting Nancy Pelosi and her family to vacation together? Could you imagine such a thing? 
It wouldn't happen. It's not going to happen. Something happened here, though. People that he hated, he doesn't hate them anymore. You see, Saul had religion. He was a very religious man. He was taught by the best teachers of Judaism. He thought he was in, his, all his zeal was poured out to wipe out Jesus. But what he really didn't have was a changed heart. He had an external religion. A lot of people have external religion today, but their hearts haven't been changed. When God redeems you, he changes your heart. He takes hate that's in your heart and he replaces it with love because the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and he's holy. And he produces holy things in us. Saul would later write these words, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. No longer breathing murderous threats against believers, he's now living with them. In his book called Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love, it's a very powerful book. If you had to read one book this year, uh, I would just point you to this book. It's by Thomas Terrence. And it's a powerful story of the transformation that took place in Tom's life from being a violent Klansman to becoming a champion of racial reconciliation. It's an amazing story. In the 1960s, Tom was a high school student. He became unsettled with all the social upheaval of his day. Those days are not much different than our days even today. He turned to extremist ideology and soon was radicalized. Before long, he became involved in the reign of terror spread by Mississippi's dreaded white knights of the Ku Klux Klan. He hated blacks. He hated Jews. He hated anyone who was sympathetic to the uh, civil rights movement of the day. In 1969, while attempting to bomb the, home, bomb the home of a Jewish leader in Meridian, Mississippi, Tom and his female accomplice were confronted by law enforcement who'd received a tip, an anonymous informant. Uh, a car chase and a gun battle ensued. Tom was shot multiple times. He shot a police officer in that battle. His accomplice was killed. He was arrested and later sentenced to 30 years in Mississippi State Penitentiary, Parchment Prison. Unrepentant, Tom and two other inmates devised a plan of escape, successfully escaped, yet they were tracked down by an FBI SWAT team. And after a gun battle that killed one of the other inmates, he was recaptured. He spent the next three years in a six-foot by nine-foot cell. Three years he only left twice a week for a short time to shower. It was during that time that God's grace started to be poured into Tom's life. He started to read the Bible. That's all he could do is read. And God began to change him. And eventually it led to his conversion and acceptance of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful story. I'll share more about it at the end, about his conversion. But he writes this, Hatred had been a spiritual cancer in my soul. But God got rid of it, and he planted love in my heart in its place. Astounded by the change in Tom, many of the very people who had worked to put him in be prison began advocating for his release. It's an incredible story. And after serving eight years of a 35-year sentence, Tom Terrence was released. He attended college. He moved to Washington, D.C. Listen to this. He became co-pastor of a racially mixed church. 
co-pastor. He went on to earn a doctorate, become president of the C.S. Lewis Institute, where he devoted himself to helping others become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Friends, God is a transforming God, and he wants to give people new hearts. He wants to change their heart. There's another transformation I see in Paul's life. Saul's life, he receives a changed purpose, verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. (laughs) Wait a minute. This is totally opposite the direction of his life. His whole purpose in life had been to eradicate the gospel of Christ, to persecute. Now he's proclaiming it. It's a 180. God can give us a new purpose. And notice that when God transforms us, it's noticeable. There's some, the changes he makes become noticeable. Look at verse 21. It says, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Isn't this the guy? They've seen the change in, in Saul. And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound? <laughs> Listen, friends, 2 Corinthians 5.17 rightly says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, new things come. We are called to be a changed, transformed people. We are called to live as Christians unashamedly and let God transform our lives so that we might radiate the presence and the power of, of Jesus. But I also want to uh, tell you this. Some of the transformation that God does is instantaneous. But many of the transformations in our life is going to take many years even to work out. Tom Terrence said, for instance, in his life, his foul mouth and his swearing changed immediately when he came to Christ. But he said so many of the sins of hatred against other races. And that was so ingrained in me God had to work a process in my life. And it's a fascinating story about step by step, God would start to open his eyes and bring this. So I just want you to know that transformation is a process too. It's lifelong. It's lifelong. It's not mentioned in the book of Acts. Luke doesn't mention this, but Paul actually says when he writes to the Corinthians that he left Damascus uh, and went out into Arabia for some three years. And then he came back to Damascus. And so within this little narrative we have in chapter 9, there's actually a period of time where Saul is away and God is working and transforming, continuing to work and transform his life. But God will help us to grow spiritually through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if we yield to him. We're told in the Bible that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose to walk in paths opposed to what God wants us to do. And it says, do not resist the Holy Spirit. Don't quench his work in our lives. Don't do that. You know, open your heart to him. Every chance you get, he will take you to the next level of where you want to end up. But you have to yield yourself to God. I love the old hymn that says, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. How often do you just pray that? God, put me on higher ground. Put me on higher ground. And for those of you who are discouraged on where you may be today, I want to encourage you with these words. 
The slave ship captain, John Newton, who came to know Christ, wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, once said this, I am not yet what I ought to be. I am not yet what I want to be. I am not yet what I hope to be, but still by God's grace, I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> and that should be our story. Everyone, I'm not what I used to be five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. But keep pressing on and God will help you. He wants to transform your purpose in life, the whole direction of your life. Third transformation I see in, in Saul's life is a willingness to suffer for Christ. Look at verse 23. When many days had passed, that those, includes those three years that he's away in Arabia, and he'd come back to Damascus, the Jews, the Jewish leadership, plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. <laughs> wow. Saul's redemption brought this transformation. He was transformed from being the persecutor to the one being persecuted. He was now willing to suffer for Jesus Christ. It's interesting when Ananias had, God told Ananias to go to Saul to receive his, pray for him and receive his sight. He said to Ananias, uh, I will show him, Saul, how much he must suffer for my name. Are you willing to suffer for his name? The Bible says that everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Everyone. Jesus said if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they didn't believe me, they're not going to believe you. But are you willing to suffer? I came across this little animated picture showing a, a boy praying before his lunch and the rest of the kids kind of laughing at him. And it reminded me that often throughout our lives, if we're willing to openly follow Christ, we'll suffer. Some people won't understand. Some will belittle you or ridicule you. But listen, you have a promise from Jesus. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of false things against you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Saul was willing to suffer for Christ. These transformations happened in his heart and life and they're still happening today. A changed heart, a changed purpose and a willingness to suffer. And after he escapes from Damascus, he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Look at verse 26. The story continues. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he comes back to Jerusalem, and the believers there say, oh, no, no, this isn't real. He's trying to flesh this out, just like in Damascus. And I just want to, I saw in this a lesson for all of us. We still face the consequences of our past sins. Whenever we confess our sins to God, the Bible says he is just and righteous and faithful to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The guilt of that sin is gone. But listen, we still have to face the consequences of our actions and what we've done. God forgives the guilt of our sin, but there's consequences to that. But the good news is he will help us. He will help us with the consequences. 
as we are mournful for those things and want to, to make those things right, God will help us. And what did he do for Saul in this instance? He brought Barnabas. Oh, thank the Lord for Barnabas. Barnabas means, his name means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. How we need encouragers. We need more Barnabases in the church. May his tribe increase. And what does he do? He takes Saul. I'll take you. Come on, I'll take you to the apostles. Uh, Galatians actually says he took him to Peter and to James, uh, the, the brother of Jesus. And he says, you should have heard, Peter. You should have heard what happened to him? He saw Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. And then he went into Damascus. He was totally a changed man. And he's proclaiming Christ. And you should have been there, Peter. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. And God, it's God's grace to him. It was God's grace to Saul to provide a way out of some of the things that he'd done in the past that made the people not trust him. And so it continues in verse 28. So Saul went in and out among them at Jerusalem. He's now accepted by the, the disciples there, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. These were Greek-speaking Jewish leaders who had aligned themselves politically with the Herods, with the Roman government. And he argued against them. And then they were seeking to kill him, it says. In verse 30, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So they took him out of Jerusalem. He had to escape again. He goes back to Tarsus, which is his hometown up in the north. And so we will not hear from Saul again for some eight to ten years. And uh, in the 11th chapter it's, uh, of Acts, we're going to hear again that, and who goes to find him is Barnabas. Barnabas goes up to, to uh, find him up in Tarsus and says, hey, there's, God's doing this wonderful work down here in uh, Antioch. You got to come be a part of it. And he brings Saul, Paul down into Antioch. And it's from Antioch that three missionary journeys are going to be launched by the apostle Paul. It's just, just a powerful story. And we conclude uh, our, our text today with verse 31, a very powerful statement. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. You know, without Saul, their chief persecutor there, things started to go a little better. He'd been changed. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Those are two powerful spiritual dispositions I want to put before you today. Believers walked in the fear of the Lord. They walked in the reverence. In other words, when you're walking, that's talking about they took seriously God in their lives. When you wake up tomorrow, how are you going to live? When you wake up Tuesday, how are you going to live? When you wake up Wednesday, how are you going to live? Reverence the Lord, fear him, humble yourself before him, call upon him, pray to him, read his word. And as you do so, you will experience the same thing the early church did. They experienced the present and presence and comfort of the Holy Spirit. So what does all this mean to us today? Let's wrap it up. Just a few applications. First of all, God is still redeeming and transforming lives. He's still in the redeeming business. And Jesus is still shining his penetrating light into human hearts, saying, follow me. Or saying to them, why are you living that way? Come to me. Come to me. Meet me. Believe in me. I said I would share 
a little bit more about Tom Tarrant's conversion. And um, he writes this in the book about those days when God's conviction upon him as he was reading the Bible, God just starts showing him who he was really like. He said, I was overcome with deep sorrow for all the prejudice, hatred, violence, immorality, and much more for the evil of my whole life. Specific sins came to mind one after another as person after person and event after event rose up against me. How could I have done these things? As I saw what I was really like, I wept and wept and wept. Finally, I got on my knees on the concrete floor of my cell and prayed a simple prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I have ruined my life and the lives of others and committed many sins. Please forgive me. Take over my life and do whatever you want with me. In those moments, something deep within me had changed. New life had invaded my heart. There was no high drama or frothy excitement, only a sense of inner knowing that Jesus had heard my prayer and I was now somehow different than I had been before I prayed. It's so powerful. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that in your life? Have you ever acknowledged your sins before God and humbly asked him to forgive you and say, God, I'm willing to follow you with all of my heart and life and soul. Don't let anything keep you from praying a prayer like that. Even today, if you're here, maybe you're watching online. That's a simple prayer that God will run to you in a moment. He's actually looking around the earth for people who will just humble themselves, say, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. He might do for you today what he did in Tom Terrence's life, Chuck Colson's life, my life, many of your lives. He'll give you a new direction, a new heart. You can be born again today. That's what the Bible means by being born again. You come from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's something God will do for you if you ask him. And I, second application is no one is beyond reach of God's redeeming, transforming power. Pastor Sean mentioned that last week, but it's, it's worth repeating. No one is beyond God's reach. Do you know that there's a, a fascinating part of this story I didn't share with you? I'll, I'll share it with you. Tom Terrence, one of the, the police officer that was chasing him was shooting at Tom Terrence. Tom Terrence was shooting back at him. He was not a believer, the, the police officer either. Uh, his wife was a believer. And after this whole incident happened, his wife actually started praying for Tom Terrence with her Bible study group. And she was praying for her husband too. Oh Lord, help my husband come to know you, the police officer. The police officer was the first to interrogate Tom Terrence. Years later, after Tom is released from prison, this police officer came to know Jesus Christ. He contacts Tom Terrence and says, we got to get together. I found the Lord. He's forgiven me. And the two of them meet for lunch. And the first thing they say, I'm so thankful to God that we didn't kill each other that night. I mean, seriously. They were shooting each other. Now they're sitting down like brothers, and they are brothers, talking about what God had done for them. <laughs> God can transform anybody. 
You may think you're too far gone. He'll, trans, he'll transform you. He'll help you. For us that have believed in Christ, this doesn't just happen, though. You know, it's not like we're just passive and God just transforms us. We have to participate in that. And here's how the Bible says we should participate. Romans 12.1, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, because of all the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Say, God, I'm on an altar. I surrender to you. Do, you got to do in my life what I can't do in my life. You got to help me. Because if you don't help me, I can't change. And then 12.2, Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Listen, if you're hearing this message today, if you have no desire in your heart to change, you're not going to change. But if God is putting in your heart today a desire to change, yield to him. And I don't know what the process will look like to you, but he will change your life. You know, God always has something better for us. Amen? God always has something better for us. Those of you who are parents, don't you want the best for your kids? Do you think God wants to do something to harm us? He wants something better for us, and he's going to transform us. And lastly, Share with others how much the Lord has done for you. Saul, Paul, the Apostle Paul never stopped telling people about what God did for him. He mentions his conversion experience several times in the book of Acts and in other places. And he finally said this, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing is, is more important to me than knowing Jesus and following him. Nothing, no desire, no passion, no, nothing. It's like rubbish. I throw it away. All my Judaism, all my vast learning, I didn't find God that way. I found him on a road <laughs> to Damascus when I was trying to oppose him. And I found that his grace is so much better than anything else in life. I'd rather have Jesus, the hymn writer said, than anything this world affords today. How about you? I'd rather let him take you to a new place. Let him take out the trash in your life, the garbage in your life, the lack of love, the harshness, the insecurities, the, the, the sin, the sensuality, the, the evil thoughts. Let, let him transform you. Yield to him on a daily basis. Call out to him on a daily And follow the Lord with all your heart. He loves you. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you that you are a transforming God and um, you'll change any life and any heart of any person who will humble themselves in your presence. I want to thank you for what you did in, in so many people in the Bible. You changed Abraham, gave him a new direction. You took a shepherd boy, David, and changed him, made him a king of your people, Israel. You changed Saul of Tarsus into the apostle Paul who proclaimed and ministered to the Gentile world. It's really through his ministry that we've come to know you as Gentiles, most of us. And I'm just amazed at the process that you do to transform lives. And you still want to transform lives. You're not just a, uh, these aren't stories from the old Bible that, that you're not still doing today. Transform our lives, change us. You did it for Chuck Colson. You did it for Tom Terrence. You change anybody that'll turn to you. I pray that You'll just change us, transform us. Thank you that there's an ongoing process. You that began a good work in us is going to complete it. 
And I thank you for that. I thank you that someday when we're in heaven, we won't even be able to sin. We'll be incapable of it. All sin will be eradicated. But until that day, Lord, press us on to higher ground. I pray for the people here today that they might follow you in this. And you would help us all to apply these truths to our lives. Transform us, God, and be glorified in it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.